Welcome to the show, Infertility Tribe, with your host, Alexandra Eva May. There is no reason you need to be suffering through infertility by yourself. There's a tribe of us out there. Let's come together. I'm going to be sharing my journey through the whole infertility experience to hopefully give you some emotional support and fertility tips along the way. Hey guys, hey tribe, it is Alex. I'm here for another episode of Infertility Tribe. You're going to have to excuse me. There might be some noise in the background. There's literally a mad amount of construction happening outside my house. I record this podcast in my bedroom. I don't call me high class. I am in the bedroom recording the podcast. So it's kind of sometimes tricky to cancel out all the noise. So bear with me. Hello, guys. How is everybody's week going? Um, How are you doing? Anybody doing their IVF treatment this week? Anybody in IUI? Anybody on letrozole? How's everybody doing? Anybody not on any kind of treatment and just hanging in there as best they can in this whole infertility kind of tornado? Yeah, I see you. I see you. I know you're out there. I know that each each of us is out there listening and relating to the infertility journey, the infertility experience. And I'm just one of those women. I'm also going through my own crap with infertility and it is what it is. Um, So I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet because it's been a new development in our journey, but my partner and I just started the IUI journey. And as anybody knows who has done it before, you take the IUI drug and we were on letrozole. I know Clomid's another drug that sometimes they prescribe, but I specifically was on letrozole. So you take the drug and then you have to watch for your ovulation with the ovulation sticks, pee on them every day, (laughs) watch for yourself. And then once you ovulate, you go to the clinic and they do the whole catheter up the hoo-hoo and put the sperm right up in there. So (laughs) that (laughs) I didn't mean to (laughs) explain the procedure in such, (laughs) such a quick manner, but okay, there you go. There's the gist of it. Anyways, so I was on letrozole. Uh, for the five days and then right after I started watching my um, ovulation and I was using one of those like digital readers and um, anyways so it showed like it had three different indicators it had nothing and then it had a indicator that your fertility was rising up a little bit and then it had like the third window or the third like I don't know, like it's probably a super happy smiley face saying, hey, it's the day of ovulation. And so I was watching. And if you're doing IUI, when it's the day of ovulation, you have to call the clinic and go in. Now, I think in America, they do it a bit different because I've been watching YouTube videos and girls are talking about doing ultrasounds for their IUI. And that is not how it's done here. It's literally just based on the pissed stick. And you just watch it. And then when you get a positive reading, you call in and they do the do the thing. So anyways, I'm on the drug. I am doing, watching my ovulation every single day. And then my reader, it shows me that my fertility is, in, it's increasing. The hormones are changing, which indicates that ovulation is going to happen. And I'm getting so excited. Oh, woohoo. Finally, I know I'm ovulating this month because I have questioned if I ovulate every month, even if I get a period. I don't know if that's happening for me. So I'm excited. I'm thinking, oh, look at it. It's going up. I great, <laughs> great, great. But I never get to the third window, the, the happy smiley face saying you have ovulated. 
So it gets to day 18 of my cycle and the doctor had said, if it gets to day 18, you need to call the clinic and they're going to do some blood work to see if you actually ovulated. So gets to day 18. I haven't gotten that positive smiley face that I ovulated. And so they send me to do the blood work and they, and I had asked, I remember I had asked the nurse, I said, if like, should I continue to test my ovulation? Like, what if I ovulate on day 19 or day 20 or whatever? And she said, they don't do the procedure after because the chances of it being successful are very low. Okay. So I go do this blood work and then they left a message on my account saying, actually you did ovulate this past month. That's what the blood says. So we're going to recommend you test morning and, and nighttime moving forward. Okay, folks, I'm a little frustrated. And like yesterday I got this message. And so I was like definitely down in the dumps because it just feels like, wow, I just wasted a month. I wasted number one, going on the drug for a month. And number two, like all the ovulation sticks, like those ain't cheap. Number three, just wasted a month in my like fertility journey as a woman. Like I'm I'm going to be 35 next year. Like sh- shit's getting serious. <laughs> so I'm frustrated. Anyways, and so like their answer was now I have to test in the morning and nighttime. But like, what if I do that and then somehow I miss it again? But then your blood work tells me, no, actually you ovulated. So you like, you know what I mean? So I feel like the process here where I live sucks. It shouldn't be, I don't know, like what if I read it wrong or what if I'm peeing at the wrong time of the day? I don't know. I'm just very frustrated. And I also was like, okay, you said I ovulated this month, but maybe... It was after the day 18, and maybe that's what the blood work's picking up. I don't know. I'm just frustrated. That's where I'm at. I'm sad. I am frustrated that this happened. (sighs) But we can only control what we control, right? I've said that before. It is somewhat out of my hands. I guess I'm frustrated and blaming myself because I feel like I'm the one that screwed up. I'm the one that missed it. I think during this infertility journey, there's so many times where we can just blame ourselves and blame our bodies, and it can be really hard to get off that path of thinking because we do feel so responsible for it and so I guess I'm in that headspace this week so I just need a few days me to get it together and hopefully get over that headspace so that's where I'm at with my IUI um so that's the first month we're gonna do it again next month with the drug again hopefully I've ordered different ovulation sticks they're not the digital reader kind my clinic said just get the basic sticks they're better for some reason they are cheaper. So I got those. We're going to, I'm going to monitor morning and night. We'll see how it goes. I'm not holding my breath. I am somewhat thinking it might happen again. I don't know. But anyways, that's where I'm at. But that's not actually what this episode is really about. I just wanted to kind of give you a little update on where I'm, where I'm at with RUI. What this episode is actually about, it's about fertility and race. Right now, we all know what's going on in the world. Black Lives Matter has taken over the news. It's taken over our world, which is incredible. I'm so happy. I am not black. I'm not a person of color. I'm a white girl. I'm a white blonde girl, actually. I am, you know, I've, a, I've had all the opportunities in the world. I came from a, I would say, middle, upper class family. I uh, went to good schools, went to university, had a good job. I've had good jobs. Like I am the definition of (laughs) white privilege. I, in my mind thought I've never been racist because I've never spewed any racist rhetoric or directed hate at people that are, that look different than me. And, you know, I was one of those white people that was like, I'm not racist. I have, I have a black friend or like I teach black students and I love them. I was, I was in that boat. Anyways, the last few weeks, my mind has been 
opened. Yes, I have been racist because I have been silent about it. I haven't educated myself about it. There was so much I did not understand before kind of trying, before immersing myself in educating myself about it all. So yes, I am racist. I exist in a system that oppresses other people and that by definition makes me racist. So I have to move forward and do better. So what I have been doing is listening to Black voices, um, listening to their experiences and their stories, reading articles, watching, just trying to learn and educate it and at no point get defensive. So many white people are very fragile. We get very defensive and we say things like I said in this episode, but I have a black friend, but I help. I, uh, I've never been unkind to someone. Stop being defensive. You don't need to defend how unracist you are. Like you are racist. Just accept it. Accept what people are saying and use that as a tool to do better, to be better, to, to rip apart a system that oppresses people. I watched the Netflix movie 13th, and I don't know if you've watched it. If you have not, you need to stop whatever it is you're doing, even stop listening to this episode. I know that's weird, directing people away from the podcast, but stop listening to this episode and go watch that movie. Honestly, it will hopefully bring tears to your eyes. Like It would be like a very I don't know, someone who has no emotion, who couldn't cry watching that. It will make you emotional. It will make you question everything that you thought you knew about white privilege. It will make you question the system. It will make you question the American judicial system. It will make you want to <laughs> like, just tear the system apart because it is a system that continues to enslave and oppress black people. And I can't, I can't, I'm not going to go into detail about the movie. You got to watch it yourself. It's incredible. It's an incredible piece of work and just worth watching. So anyways, I'm there. Okay. In regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm trying my best to be an ally, doing my best that I can, uh, because it's very important. And so anyways, one of the things, like I said, I'm a white girl. I am not, in this episode, I'm not going to be talking about my own experience because I don't have this experience, but I have the ability to read about it. And so I have read lots of articles and I'm going to be giving information on this podcast. Uh, this is not a podcast where I interview people. Uh, I haven't really looked into how to, to go about doing that using the technology I have. So that's, I guess, my excuse for not bringing someone on the podcast to speak directly to this, a black woman who's lived it. Um, I am using the excuse of technology, but that's just that's just how the format of the show is at this point. So I'm just the mouthpiece right now, and I'm just giving the information out. And you can do with it what you will. I think it's really important you listen and you learn as best you can um, and just reflect on it. I think that's all that we can do if you're white is reflect on these things and try to do better and educate yourself and so that you can, if you see someone out there that is spewing dangerous rhetoric like all lives matter or spewing things like I said well I I help I have a black friend you can address it and you can say actually you know what that's great but there's still all this other work to do so anyways let's get to it um so I want you here's my challenge to you I want you to google IVF and look at the images that come up when you google it I paused for dramatic <laughs> emphasis um so if you do actually do this exercise you're going to notice that the women that appear are pretty much white folk, white ladies. You might find one picture of a black woman, but it's pretty much white people that they show. 
um, in Google, which is like the number one search engine. So that's the number one huge issue, and I'm contributing to it actually right now. There are very few women of color that are being passed the mic to talk about infertility. There are very few black women that are being passed the mic to talk about infertility. And this could be contributing to women having challenges getting pregnant. So let's say you go into your fertility clinic and I want you to do this. Next time you go in, I want you to look around the room. If you have a waiting, if you say you're in the waiting room, I want you to look around the room and I want you to look at who is in that clinic. What is represented there? There was an article and it was, it interviewed um, a woman named Miss Lawson, who is black, and she noticed something as she visited fertility clinics. She noticed that nine times out of 10, that she was the only person that looks like her. And she said those offices were packed. So imagine walking into a room as a black woman, trying to get your infertility treatments and looking around the room and everybody does not look like you. Imagine how that would make you feel. It might encourage shame. It might encourage you to not talk about it with people in your life, suffer in silence. So the more I researched, I learned that women who have used fertility services are likely to be married, white, and older with higher levels of income and education. 15% of white women ages 25 to 44 in the United States have sought medical help to get pregnant. This is compared with only 7.6% of Hispanic women and 8% of black women. And this comes, um, this data is from the Department of Health and Human Services from the National Center for Health Statistics. So, but the interesting, so they're majorly underrepresented in the um, infertility sphere in regards to seeking, seeking treatment. But the interesting thing is that these stats exist despite the fact that married black women face infertility actually more often than married white women. So how come they're facing it more often but they are underrepresented in the IVF sphere, in the actual seeking medical help sphere? Why? It's interesting. One study found, and this was done by the American Study for Reproductive Medicine, they found that black women have lower success with IVF than white women. And they weren't really sure why. So biologically, we aren't different. Why would they have lower success? So they, this research, actually, they looked at 36,000 patients who had undergone IVF treatment. And this was in Washington, D.C. And they noticed that of those 36,000 patients, 29 identified, 20, sorry, 29,000 identified as white patients and only 6,000 identified as black patients. According to their findings, the rate of clinical pregnancy was 9% lower in, in black patients. Clinical pregnancy loss was 25 or 24% higher in black patients. And live birth was actually 14% lower for black women compared to the white women they studied so what does this mean? What does this data all mean? What this data means is that black women had a lower pregnancy rate and are more likely to experience pregnancy loss. Just let that sink in. So 
Another important and interesting part of the study is that black women actually responded well to ovulation-stimulating medicine and had equal, if not greater, number of eggs retrieved and embryos created. So this should have meant that they were set up well for IVS success, but something was impacting their ability to carry babies to term. And originally, researchers thought that this might be happening because of access. So they thought maybe possibly black women had less access to fertility clinics and treatment than white women. But they were using the data from IVF clinics. So all the women in the study had access to the clinics and were accessing them. So what was it? What was impacting their fertility? It, It did not have to do with access. What was it? The interesting thing is that there's a growing body of research that suggests what is impacting fertility in black women is racism. Let that sink in. So why? Why would racism impact fertility? Continuous exposure to racism is a continuous exposure to trauma. Whether it's happening directly to you or happening to your friend, or your father, or your mother, or the person in your neighborhood, or community as a whole. You are continually exposed to trauma. There was an interesting study done. I learned about this study, and it was with mice. And they put these these father mice, <laughs> these boy mice, in a cage, and they released the smell of cherry blossoms. And every time they released the smell of cherry blossoms, they shocked the mice. So eventually, these father mice would freak out just at the smell of cherry blossoms. So they stopped releasing the smell. They stopped shocking them. And they brought in some lady mice, and they all went to town, and they created some beautiful little baby mice. So the mama mice never had exposure to the experience of... um the smell of cherry blossoms and being shocked. And the baby mice didn't either. But here's the interesting thing. They removed the mama and the papa mice out of the cage and they were just left with these baby mice and they started releasing the smell of cherry blossoms without shocking them. And even though these baby mice had never experienced the shock experiment and they were only just smelling cherry blossoms for like the first time, they freaked out like as if they had experienced the trauma themselves. So that study alone shows that trauma experienced by older people is passed down. And this study actually shows that it's passed down in our DNA. If you experience trauma and it's not treated and it's not healed, it can be passed down to future generations. So continuous exposure to racism over 400 years has dramatically impacted how black women experience the world. And this contributes to a wide range of health disparities. I know, this is big shit. This is, sorry, sorry. Don't mean to swear on air, but sometimes I do. This is big stuff. This is big stuff. So I'm also going to circle back to the idea of going through infertility in isolation and how it's particularly relevant to Black women. Historical narratives leave Black women particularly marginalized in the reproductive choice conversation. So often they are forced to deal with infertility 
like I mentioned, in isolation. So I'm going to use an example. Um, this is a woman I read about, and her name is Stacy Edwards Dunn. And she talked about how it took her eight rounds of in vitro fertilization and six years um, to get pregnant. And today she has a healthy 11-month-old girl, uh, but it took her a long time. But she went on to say in this article that like many women, she kept her struggles with infertility secret for years. She said, like many of them, she was ashamed. And this is a direct quote from the article. She said, we are told that black women aren't supposed to have these problems, that we are basically baby making machines. So imagine being told that. Imagine that's the message that you're getting. So if you go through infertility, imagine how much shame you might feel. This woman, Edwards Dunn, she went on and she referred to infertility in the black community as the silent giant. Wow. You know, so she has actually, she started a foundation. It's, uh, for, it's called Fertility for Colored Girls. And their mission is actually to educate women about their options and to raise money for women who can't afford in vitro fertilization. She went on to say that the taboo around the topic has created so much mystery and misinformation around infertility. And she said one of the misconceptions is that infertility and IVF is actually a white problem. Where she said in reality, infertility is very much a black person, black woman problem. It's just not talked about. Another thing I discovered on this research is that black women are being severely underrepresented in medical research. So it's, um, this was a quote that I found, um, and this was actually, this is from Edwards Dunn as well. And she said, it is critical that more research considers the unique conditions of black women, such as cultural, psychological, sociological, race discrimination, gender, and just the mistrust of medical institutions, doctors, and more. That's what she said. And so you might be wondering, why do they have a medical, um, mistrust, why do they have a mistrust of medical doctors. Well, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of information out there. This is something I learned years ago, but there was actually studies like in the long time ago when they used to early, when they were early, when they were just discovering how to do surgeries and just figuring out methods, they used black slaves as their patients. And at the time there was no, um, the, the thing that puts you to sleep, there was none of that. They were operating on black slaves and particularly women while they were fully awake, they were doing surgeries on them. Just think about that. Think about you knowing that that happened to your ancestor. Of course, you're not going to trust medical professionals if that's what they did to you. So if you're wondering where that comes from, I know that. And there was other studies. There was a whole syphilis study that was done where they actually injected black slaves with syphilis to try to figure out a cure. Now, these are horrible things that were done. But this all contributes to why there is a mistrust. I, I totally understand. So back to what I was talking about, another doctor, Dr. Devine, she agrees and she agrees saying that it's vital that black women, especially those who struggle with infertility, are aware of the unique factors they face pre-pregnancy, during and post-pregnancy. So this organization that was created actually play an essential role in disseminating this important information. Uh, Dr. Devine went on to say that women need to be aware of these disparities and hopefully that leads them to seek infertility treatment and consultation earlier in their journey to a healthy baby to maximize the chances 
of success. So this episode, I really hit you hard with lots of information. Like I said, this is not my experience. I am just right now the messenger. I am just giving you the information that I found that I think everybody should know and do with it what you will. I think the more that we're educated, the better our world can become. And maybe you will take this episode and you will play it for someone else or you will go, which would be even better. Actually, you go on the internet and you seek out black voices talking about this. I'm going to try to do better and figure out how to get guests on my podcast. It can't be that hard. Everybody does it. I'm going to try to do that and bring on black voices. But in the meantime, I guess with this episode, I just hope that it stirred something inside you to start thinking about your privilege, if you are white, of being of, of your fertility journey, even though it's horrible for you, you, you have a step up. So reflect on that. Yeah, that's all I have to say today. I hope that you're all having a really wonderful day. And yeah, that's all I have to say. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, review, comment, recommend the show to another infertility warrior going through the infertility journey. You can also find myself and the tribe on Instagram at infertility tribe. You can send me a direct message there if you have a question you want me to answer on the show or if you have a story you want me to share with the listeners. As well, you can find me on my personal blog at www.thesplendidpath.com or on Instagram at thesplendidpath.com. Thank you.